Hey, how's everybody doing? It's great to see you. It's great to see you. When I first started college, I had no idea what to major in. So up until that point, from the time I was 13 until, uh, you know, 20 at the time, or actually it was 19, uh, my goal in life was to become a rock star by the time I was 21, and they weren't offering a bachelor's of heavy metal degree. So I had to kind of go in a different direction. So, um, So I went to the guidance counselor who led me. Uh, as we met and he said, all right, here's what I want you to do. And he led me to this computer and he said, I want you to sit here. I want you to take this test. Uh, and it just, the test is just going to be a bunch of questions about you, about your interests and, and what you want to do and, and that, that kind of stuff. So I said, okay. And uh, now the test was supposed to tell me with nine, literally, this is what it said at the beginning of the test. It will tell me with 99.9% accuracy what I should devote my life to. Now, I was very excited about taking the test. Because I was not a good student uh, in, in high school. Uh, I was in what was called the five-year plan. Uh, some of you know this, that when I think about being a, uh, you know, when I talk about being a senior, I like to say it was the best two years of my life. So I, uh, so I, I was, you know, so now I just, fa- you know, I, in ninth grade I was in Algebra 1, failed it, took it again, failed it, took uh, Geometry, failed it. Um, and then th- they, they said, you know what, maybe we should kind of lower the math here. So they put me in, um, uh, I mean, it was the work, because I needed these math credits, so then the next year I had to take several math classes. So they, they put me in this thing that's called like Math 2. Uh, math 2 is basically like, like, you know, long division. I mean, the stuff that, you know, your, your third graders are learning, that's what they, that's what they had, had me doing. It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And uh, so then um, they put, then another class I had was called consumer math. Oh, this is, the the real brainiacs were in this one. Uh, Now, this class, I mean, it was like, they would take the most basic math and they would just, I mean, spend an entire week. They spent an entire week on how to write a check. And it, I mean, you think about, you know, you probably learned to write a check, what, in like four minutes. Someone taught you how to do it. This took an entire week. But these guys were like, you know, like, all right. So then they had like the giant check. I mean, the, the, my teacher's name was Mr. Randall. He's actually a really nice guy. But, uh, and so it would have this. And then they had, we had like all these, um, these photocopies of checks. And we had to kind of like write checks to like the power company or whatever. And so then we're writing. But I'm telling you, half the people in this class, it had, you know, date. People were writing yes. Like, what? You know, yes, I want a date. Uh, it's, it, was, it was rough. It was serious. It was a rough situation. And... Um, so anyway, get back to my test. I, I go through this entire test. I answer the questions with 99% accuracy of what I should do. At the end, it says I should become a mathematician. <laughs> Not sure your test is functioning correctly. And, uh, you know, now I was frustrated by it. And, and this is why I think a lot of us get frustrated at times is because we all want to be great at something. See, I knew math wasn't going to be it. But we all want to be great at something. We all want to know the reason that we were put on this planet, our, uh, the, the, the big contribution that, that we're going to make. You know, from childhood, we're asked these questions. You know, you're a really little kid, and people are asking, hey, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm amazed when people ask my kids this stuff. Um, especially, you know, they'll ask my son, Xander, who just turned four. And uh, just the other day, someone was asking him, hey, so what are you going to do as a career when you, when you grow up? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, and, and I said to the guy, and I'm like, listen, he just turned four, and he's almost mastered dressing himself. Uh, so maybe we can cut him a little slack on, you know, hey, what do you want to spend the next 45 years doing in, in your career? So the guy walks away, and I 
say to Xander, I'm like, hey, so anyway, what do you want to do uh, when, when you grow up? And uh, do you want to be a, a pastor and a Bible teacher like your dad? And he says, no. What's wrong with that? And he says, no, no, I don't, dad, I don't want to do that. And uh, it was really funny because he says, no, dad, I want to be a firefighter. And then he puts his hand on my shoulder. Uh, and he says, but don't worry, I'll always be here to help you out. I'm like, well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, because now, and I'll tell you this, because there's, there's only three things you can do with your life. I put them in your notes. I want to talk about them for a minute before we get into our text. There's only three things you can do with your life. Uh, and, and, and here's the first one. Uh, the first one is this. You can waste your life. Plenty of ways to do that. Uh, plenty of ways you can become addicted to stuff. You can, and just be, your life becomes that, uh, the pursuit of that. And you just, um, and, and that's, you know, that's the route you can go if you want to waste your life. Uh, you can spend your life. Number two. Uh, this is where you just let time slip away. And then uh, you don't give appropriate thought to the important things of life and you just spend your life on meaningless stuff. And if you say, man, spending my life sounds really good, may I suggest to you Comic-Con and other sci-fi conventions. Uh, that, you know, uh, because some guys, they, they, that's their, they, oh, that's my hobby. Okay, maybe that's an okay hobby. But when you're spending like way too much time you know, like if you've molded your own pair of Spock ears and you're building a replica of the Starship Enterprise in your garage, uh, you're probably spending a little too much time. You know, you're probably spending your life, all right? Now, maybe it is cool to learn to speak Klingon, okay? But, you know, it's probably not the best use of your life, okay? The third thing you can do, this is what we're going to spend most of our time talking about, is that you can invest your life. This is where you use your life to make a difference in the people and in the causes that matter most. You see, it's where you make the, the impact of your life actually outlives you. It's where uh, it, it outlives you and your legacy lives on even when you're gone because you've made a difference in people's lives. I, I love what Moses wrote in Psalm 90. He says this, he says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Two weeks ago, we started a series called The Science of Joy, and we're working our way verse by verse through the book of Philippians, and much of the New Testament is a series of letters that was written, and many of them written by the Apostle Paul. And so he wrote this letter to a church uh, in Philippi, and, and the letter, this book uh, of Philippians is about joy. Uh, and this should be uh, of particular interest to us because as I've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, Paul wrote this while in prison. And if you can have joy while you're in prison for preaching the message of Jesus, then we should sit up, listen, and take notice to what it is that Paul is going to tell us. And now Paul's going to start getting to, to the real heart of the message of Philippians. He's going to talk to us about his reason for living. And, and once again, we should take notice because if we're believers, we're Christians, we're following Jesus, then this should be our reason as well. You see, for the Apostle Paul, Jesus was his life, and everything else was just a detail. Jesus was the cornerstone, the focal point, the main event, the headliner, and everything else was small potatoes. And here's what we're going to learn in our time together. We're going to learn what is of ultimate importance in our lives. Not what we say is of ultimate importance, but what really is of ultimate importance in our lives, because that's the thing 
The thing that is of ultimate importance to us is the thing that we're living for. So I'm going to invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12, and here's what the Apostle Paul writes. He says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the first thing I want to share with you. When we talk about the elements of a fulfilled life, here's the first one. That you will live for what you will suffer for. You will live for what you will suffer for. You see, we will put up with just about anything for the things that we're passionate about and the things that we have given our lives to. I mean, we will go to any extreme if it's what it is that we live for. Uh, I've wanted to be a musician. I I became a musician at 15 years old. Uh, So I've been a musician now for three and a half years. Um, But no, I've been a musician now for almost 25 years. I got my first bass on my 15th birthday. And I mean, I would play until... um, and my brother-in-law just bought a guitar, so we're kind of, him and I are talking about this. So he's playing, see, man, he's saying, Bob, I'm, um, I'm playing, and then, but I'm getting these blisters on my fingers from playing. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. And then what you got to do is you got to keep playing. Yeah, but it hurts when I play. Yeah, but you got to keep playing, because what happens is that you get blisters on your fingers, and then those blisters pop, and it's just like raw skin. And then you keep playing. And then you play until that raw skin starts to bleed. And then you get these crazy calluses that it doesn't matter how much you play, it doesn't hurt anymore. Um, but that's what would happen is that I would play um, and I, you get the blisters, the blisters would pop while you were playing and then you, your fingers would start to bleed and you just kept playing because you, wanted, you, because you want to be a good musician. You know, and that's how important music was in my life, that I would just kind of play through the pain. That you would suffer for the sake of being a good musician. You know, music was so important in my life. I remember one time I went to Aventura Mall, we were with the kids, and I, uh, we went in through the entrance that's by the, um, if you're familiar with Aventura Mall, the entrance that's by the food court. We walked in there and I pointed to the bench and I said, Carrie, I've slept on that bench. And she said, now, okay, let's hear it. What happened? And I said, well, I went to this concert. I didn't have a car. And I just started explaining to her that I wanted to go to this concert that was down at the Cameo Theater on South Beach. And so I skipped my last couple classes of school and then... Uh, I got a bus from Coral Springs to this mall that used to be in Hollywood called the Hollywood Fashion Mall. Uh, I got the, another bus from Hollywood Fashion Mall that took me to Aventura Mall. From Aventura Mall, I got a bus that took me to South Beach. Me and my friends went to the concert. After the concert, we got on the last bus at 1 a.m. that took us back to Aventura Mall, and then we slept at Aventura Mall till 6 a.m. when the buses started running again. And then we got back home uh, about about noon. And so... I'm answering all of this, which makes complete sense to me. And then Carrie uh, says, okay, now can I just ask one question? Why would you do this? 
And I said, because rock and roll demanded it. That, that's why you do it, you know? And uh, Now, the thing is, is that when you're committed to something, there's few things that you won't do. You will suffer for it. You will put up with, in, with inconvenience. You will wait for hours. Uh, you know, you will go hungry. You will spend way too much money. Golfer, golfers, I'm talking to you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm serious. You, you, all of that, right? I mean, why do people wait in line for hours at Disney World? I mean, you know, besides the fact that we've just been conditioned as a society that, it, that it's acceptable. It's not acceptable. Uh, but we will do, why? We love our kids and we are willing to suffer for the sake of our kids, for them to, to be on a ride that you sit in the car and then it goes around. Oh, look, there's a picture of Winnie the Pooh and then it's over. And it's like that whole, I waited 45 minutes for a ride that lasts 14 seconds. And uh, all right. And so now think about this. Paul is in prison because he's preaching the gospel, the message of Jesus. Jesus can save you. Uh, Jesus died for you. And there are people, now think about this, how twisted this is. There were people who hated Paul and decided to start preaching the gospel more boldly because Paul was in prison and they didn't like his style. And they're like, well, now you're in prison. We're going to do it our way. And they're thinking, this is Paul writes, he says, they think they're going to actually add affliction to me because I'm in prison and now they're going to, they're going to preach uh, and, and they, they think it's supposed to bother me. And, and what Paul says is, listen, it doesn't matter to me what the motive is. If they want to bother me, that's fine. What makes me happy is I'm rejoicing because the gospel is being preached. And the point of it is, is this, is that um, if you're willing to give up easily, you aren't very committed. And your willingness to suffer shows the level of your commitment. I mean, I was reading about a guy, uh, someone sent me this article from the Orange County Register, this is in Orange County, California. Uh, they sent me, it was about a kid that was so committed to playing the game, uh, this is from about two years ago, that he's so committed to playing the, game, the, the video game World of Warcraft, I don't know if people still play that, people still play that? Yes, no, maybe, I've never heard, I, I don't know about video games, what's that? Um, anyway, he's so committed to playing this video game, uh, World of Warcraft, it ruled his life, and here's what it says, uh, he would only, this guy says he would only allow himself 30 seconds to go to the bathroom. He wouldn't shower or brush his teeth. Instead, he played the game 15 hours a day. That, my friends, is commitment. He will never know the touch of a woman, but he is committed, right? He is committed. And uh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, is that the things that we commit ourselves to just shows what we value. Just shows what you value right? You show me someone who is waking up at 5 a.m. to go to the gym, and I'll show you someone who's committed uh, to, to their health. You show me someone who will get to a stadium very early in the morning and will paint their bodies, uh, you know, which by the way should be color, covered up, uh, that, you know, that they will, they will paint their bodies the color of their favorite team while they're in the blistering cold and have no shirt on. This never made any sense to me, but, and I'm once again, they aren't very smart, but they're committed. And, and, and the point is this, you know, and this is the thing that's so important for us, is that you make your commitments, and then your commitments will make you. And this is why this is so important, why it matters to God why you're committed and what you're, it is that you're committed to, because you will become that which you're committed to. In Psalm 115, here's, here's, what, the, here's what the Bible says. It says, our God is in heaven, he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes 
they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. They have feet, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. And those who make them are like them. And so is everyone who trusts in them. And you know what the promise is? This is the promise. People who worship idols become like their idols. But people who worship God become like Him. And if we are willing, even through difficult times and difficult seasons, to say, God, I'm following you no matter what, then here's the promise, that we will become more like him. Well, Paul goes on in verse 19. Look at what he says. He says, Now I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing... I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two. Having desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, nevertheless to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing of me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. If you pause there and give me your attention, um, here's the second of the third things I want to tell you about these elements of a fulfilled life. The first we said is that you will live for what you will suffer for. The second thing is you will live for what you would die for. You will live for what you would die for. If you want to know what you live for, think about what you would die for. Because some things matter a lot to some of us and other things don't matter anything to others of us. Uh, When I became a Christian, the day I became a Christian, I had tickets to a Red Sox game. My brother... Uh, led Carrie and I to Jesus. We prayed with him, and then um, we talked for a little bit, and shortly after, I said, hey, we, we need to go. We have tickets to see the Red Sox tonight. And so we went to Fenway uh, to see the game, and, and I, I wanted to get there early. I wanted to see batting practice. This is how you know you're like a baseball nerd. It's because you like to go to batting. You like to watch the, guy, the batting practice. So we get there at 4 p.m. for a 7 p.m. game. And uh, so batting practice is happening, and I'm watching intently. And, uh, and I'm talking to Carrie about things, and this is good happening, whatever. And I, I turn to her, and she's asleep. She is asleep in a, in a baseball game. And then a minute later, this is so good, there's a guy, uh, you know, one of the salesmen. And, and Carrie's on the end seat, and I'm, I'm, I'm one seat in. And the guy puts his foot on Carrie's, uh, on, on the, 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 the armrest, and he goes, Peanuts! Get your peanuts! And anyway, she's startled. I laughed. And anyway, it didn't go well for the rest of the evening, Uh, but it was awesome. And uh, now, listen, isn't it amazing? Same place, watching the same activity. One of us is extremely excited, passionate about what's going on. The other, totally asleep. And listen, that is because some of us are passionate about things that that others of us aren't. And and, and I just think, like, I I don't understand, Carrie, how can you fall asleep in, um, in, in a baseball stadium? I'm not even sure how that can happen. Well, about a couple years ago, Carrie and I are out Christmas shopping, and uh, we're out, you know, buying Christmas gifts and whatnot, and uh, she goes into a store, and, and I, like, I don't know about you, but Christmas, 
shopping sounds exciting to me until about 20 minutes into Christmas shopping. And then I'm like, can't we just get everyone a gift card? You know, and then we're just done. And then, so she's like, no, we're going to get so-and-so this thing. And then, um, so, so we've gone to a couple different stores. We're about an hour into it and I am done. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sit out here. You get what you need to. I'll hold the bags. So I'm sitting in this bench. I, I mean, we've got a bunch of bags and I'm sitting there on this bench. Carrie comes out and uh, I am totally asleep. I'm asleep holding these bags out like this, sitting. I, I don't even know how that's possible. But I'm totally asleep in the middle of a mall at Christmas time. And what's the difference? The problem is passion. I'm just, I, I have no excitement about this at all. And you know what the sad reality is? Is for someone to get to a point in their life to realize that they've given their passion in the best years of their life to something that doesn't matter. You see, the Apostle Paul, I want you to look at this verse in verse 21. It's, it's one of the most important verses, I think, in all the Bible. Here's what he says. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, that would, I think that that's a good sentence for us to look at. And, and you put, for me to live is, and you fill in the blank. And to die is, and you fill in the blank. So if for some people is, for me to live is pleasure. And to die is to miss out. For some to live is possessions, and to die is to leave it all behind. For, for some, to, for me to live is fame, and to die is to be forgotten. And some people might look on and they say, well, Pastor Bob, that's foolishness. You know, I mean, I don't live for those things. I live for my kids. And, you know, and I'd die for them if I had to. Now, being willing to give your life for your family is an honorable thing. A man who loves God is called to sacrifice for his family. However, if I live for my kids, what happens when they grow up and leave? You see, and I'll tell you what happens, and, this is a, and I see this happen so often with empty nesters, is that parents will go into a depression and many times just completely melt down when the kids leave. Because it's like, no, I, I, had, I have given my whole life to you needing me, and now you don't need me. It's not that you don't love me, it's that you don't need me the way that that you used to need me. And then, you know what happens? Because of that, they start to actually resent their kids. And then, they start making their lives, their kids' lives miserable because they left home. And then the truth comes out that it's like, no, it wasn't that you were living for my, that you were living for your kids. No, what happens is, is that what we can do is, we were living because we were needing to be needed. That's what we were living for, is the feeling that we got of needing to be needed. And to die was to feel discarded or unnecessary. That's why Paul says, for me to live is Christ, the highest thing that we could ever live for. To live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, Solomon was wiser than any person on this planet. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he gives himself to everything. And he's like, I'm trying to find out the meaning of life. And he gets to the end and he, and he gives, you know, he, he gives himself to everything to find satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose in his life. And at the end of the Ecclesiastes, I put it in your notes, here's what he says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. You see, when a person is a believer, and they say to live is Christ, to die is not the end of the story. To die is gain because for a Christian, death is not the end. Death is graduation. To now, um, 
as, as Jesus would say in Matthew 25, you know, at the end of the road, we see, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things, and now I'll make you ruler over many things. Come to the, into the joy of your Lord. Um, a guy that I love and deeply respect, uh, a guy named Chuck Smith, he was the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement of churches, um, went to heaven on Thursday. Um, he is the greatest Bible teacher I've ever known. Uh, he, everything I know about the Bible, I learned from this man. And um, I love uh, when I found out he had, he had been sick for some time now. Um, he, uh, he actually, uh, he had, um, it's a weird how things work, but the guy had never smoked a day in his life. The guy's never even been to a movie uh, in his life. And he actually, he, contract, he got lung cancer and the cancer started spreading through his body. And um, he, he knew it was getting close to the end. He actually preached with an oxygen tank on Sunday at his church, all services. Just incredible, incredible guy. And, um, but when he died, I posted a picture of, of him, and I, and I posted one of my favorite quotes of his, and I'm, I want to read it to you. And he said this, says, Someday you might read in the paper, Chuck Smith died. Don't believe that. That's poor reporting. To be accurate, they must write, Chuck Smith moved out of an old, worn-out tent into a beautiful mansion. And then he quotes 2 Corinthians 5.1, A building of God, not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens. You see, um, in 2 Corinthians 5, the Bible would say this, that we are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. That's what happens. When a per- That's why when he says to live as Christ, to die as gain, and Paul's like, listen, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit because I know that I could go and be with Christ and that's better, but I know if I stay here with you, it's better for you, for your development, for your maturity. And so, but listen, when you take your last breath on earth, you're taking your first breath in the presence of God. Listen, when you, the moment you die, you don't go to purgatory. That is, a, that is fiction. Uh, you don't go and sit in limbo somewhere. You don't, go, you don't come back as somebody else based on your karma. According to what the Bible teaches, you take your last breath on planet earth. You take your next breath in the presence of God. And if you're a believer, you're going to hear these beautiful words that say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And listen, everything is telling us that we were not meant to be here forever. You know, your body is telling you you weren't meant to be here forever because our bodies were not created to be here forever. Our bodies were created to wear out. All right? Uh, I'm turning 40 in two weeks. The the only person who cheers is the person who's younger than 40. Um, But I'm turning 40 in two weeks, and I can tell you that stuff is starting to hurt that never used to hurt before. Okay, um, and one of this is one of the ways you know you're getting older. You know how you're getting older because you call Advil vitamins. That's one of the reasons you know. All right. Now, a couple years ago, I got this thing. Uh, it's a it's a kind of a pinched nerve. It's called sciatica. It's like you get a it's a pinched nerve, and it kind of gives you pain in your leg. And I didn't even know what that is until I got it. And I'm like, hey, that really hurts. Hey, you have that. Welcome to the club. And uh, and when it flares up, man, it is just so painful. And so mine decided to flare up on Friday, and, uh, which is okay, except I was, uh, I was flying home from Atlanta. I was, in, uh, I was in Atlanta for part of the week uh, at a conference and having meetings with my publisher and a few other publishers about some projects that we're going to be doing. And um, so I'm, I, I leave the conference. My leg really starts hurting because, you know, I mean, it's this big arena where this conference is, and I've been walking like crazy. And um, so then... 
We're on our way. We return the rental car. I get out of the rental car, and my leg is killing me. So then I've got to walk. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Atlanta airport. Uh, the Atlanta airport is, if, if you look up nightmare in the dictionary, the, it'll be a picture of Hartsfield, Atlanta, uh, Hartsfield Jackson Airport in Atlanta. So we return the rental car, and then you've got to walk now to this, um, to this tra- uh, the sky train that takes you then to the airport. Then after you're done with there, you, you go down a couple flights of stairs, and then you walk across the street to the airport. Then you walk, and this is not an exaggeration. If you've been to the airport, you know I'm not even joking. You walk about a mile from the entrance of the airport to your gate. All of this time, I am limping because I'm in so much pain. And uh, so then I finally get to my, my seat. Thank the Lord I got upgraded. Uh, this is one of the good things about flying is that I, I got upgraded uh, to first class, but my seat wouldn't move back, which is just so annoying. But I was so tired, I fell asleep. I was in so much pain, I fell asleep. We got to Miami, and I get out. And so because we were up front, Mark and I are one of the first people to get off the plane. And so we're waiting for... Uh, George and Steve from our staff to get off because we were in the front row and they were all the way in the back row. And that's just a weird thing how that works out. Uh, but anyway, so we get off and, and I'm in so much pain. I tell Mark, I said, listen, these guys are going to be a few minutes to get off the plane and I, I'm walking really slow. So what I'm going to do is give me a head start to get out to the car because I'd park my car in the, in the garage. And I'm like, so give me a head start. I'm going to start walking and then um, I'll meet you at the car. And uh, so I get about a 10-minute head start, and I say to myself, uh, because when we were in Atlanta, I mean, they were like yards ahead of me, and I'm dragging. I mean, seriously, I felt like I was, you know, 39 going on 89. I mean, it was rough. And so I say to myself as I'm walking, and I'm like, Bob, you have to get to the car before they do. This is now the goal of your life. Every, nothing else in your life matters except getting to the car before they do. And so... I am, I mean, I'm, I've got my, uh, my bag and I've got my carry-on. And I mean, I'm like using it like a cane. And I'm pushing because I'm, I'm in so much pain trying to get there. And um, finally, I get, I get to the end. I go up, this, I go up the elevator. I, I come out. And um, I take a picture. Every time I go to the airport, I take a picture of where I parked because I'm never going to remember. Uh, this is, another, by the way, another thing you remember. Like, oh, remember we parked? You know, I take a picture. This is one of the ways that you, I'm, I'm pretty close to putting a tennis ball on my antenna. I'm getting close to that. And uh, so I, I, now, because, so anyway, um, I did make it to the car first, but it's because they didn't remember where the car was and I wouldn't tell them. And I, they're like, hey, we're on the third floor. I'm like, yeah, you're close. I was on the second floor. Uh, but I'm, you're close. And then I just, uh, and, but I did get there. And, uh, but the whole thing is this, right? Like our bodies are not meant to be here forever. They're supposed to wear out. And so why would I give my life to something that is going to, something that's temporal, that's going to wear out? It just doesn't make sense. That's why when Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, that is the only thing worth living for. To then be able to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's, it's what we're called to live for, and it's the only thing that's worth living for. But there's one other thing that Paul says, and this is where I want to bring it to a close. Look at verse 27. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you may stand fast in one spirit and one mind, striving together for faith of the gospel, 
and in, not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. And here's the last thing I want to share with you. And that is that you will live for what you would stand for. It's what you would stand for. Paul challenges us to live our lives to be, and for our conduct to be worthy of the gospel. Worthy of the gospel, it means this. It means that our lives would rightly reflect the God uh, that, that we love and the offer of salvation that he offers to us. That our lives would match the kind of grace that we've experienced in the gospel. You know, that term when he says, in the manner of, uh, he says that your lives would be, uh, be worthy in the gospel. It's, um, in a manner worthy of the gospel is a phrase that comes from the, uh, from the bartering world in, in the ancient world where you would weigh, weigh things. And that's, hey, I want to I trade this for this, and you would weigh it. And so, and it was one of the ways that you, you traded with people. And he, what he's telling believers is that our conduct and our words, they need to have the same level of weight. And sometimes what happens is, is that we just don't realize that um, the things that will knock us over, the things that will keep us from standing, are just, uh, they, they shouldn't. I mean, and if we would look at it from a different perspective, it, it, it would change us. And let me explain it this way. Maybe it'll make more sense. Um, about two years ago, I went and spoke at this church. And afterwards, they had an air, this kind of fellowship area. And they had like coffee and food and all that. Um, and I was there. Uh, Carrie was there with me. And I was there playing with the kids. Olivia wasn't born. Xander was young. And Mia uh, was there. She was about four uh, at the time. And um, suddenly, uh, I saw this little mouse uh, this is up in the northeast, but I saw this little mouse um, walking around, and I told my kids, I'm like, hey, do you guys want to see a mouse? Which my kids thought was awesome. Like, yeah, we do want to see a mouse. So I said, hey, come over and take a look at the mouse. And so they come over to see a mouse. Then the, uh, the other kids, that my kids tell other kids, hey, look, you guys want to see a mouse. And now there's this crowd around this little mouse. And so um, the mouse kept moving, and it got near to the door. And so this woman then comes in to the room, and she asks me, and she says, hey, what's all, what's all the fuss about? And I say, oh, you know, there's, uh, there's this little mouse here. And she says, oh, no, you're kidding, right? I'm terrified of mice. And so she starts walking. She comes in, and the mouse has been working its way towards the door, and she starts walking backwards to get out. And then, but the mouse is kind of like intercepting her. As, as she's on her way out. And, and I say to her, and I say, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the mouse is right on your foot now. I mean, she let out a scream. I mean, that, I mean it was like the scream from the movie Psycho. You know, it's, ah! I mean, like could have shattered windows. And, um, uh, you know, and I mean, the, the mouse was a little freaked out too. It went and hit under a Coke machine, uh, which now... That would make sense to me if the mouse was scared. But this lady was like 500 times the size of that mouse. All right? And, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, all you had to do was this. And I mean, you could have sent that thing to mouse heaven with one stomp. And, and yet she's screaming like this mouse is going to kill her or something. And, 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 and the weird part is, and this is the, the part that I thought was so interesting. None of the kids were scared of the mouse. They recognized uh, the size of the mouse compared to, to them. It was only the women and the girly men that ran away. 
you know. And, and it was, but listen, it is a completely imbalanced view of the situation. And this is the thing that Paul is hoping that, that to avoid. And he's saying, listen, let your conduct, let your life be lived in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That we walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. That's what, uh, I put that in your notes. In Ephesians 4, Paul would write, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And this is the thing, once again, is it, is it what you're willing to stand for? Or can any little thing keep you from standing for that which you say that you live for? And sometimes what will happen is, oh, this is what I live for. This is what's most important. Oh, mouse. And then that's not what I, I, I'm, I and, and I'm going to run away. No, no, no. And he says this. Listen, to live your life in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. See, worthy of the love that we've received. Worthy of the grace that we've received. And listen, and by the way, this doesn't mean that you've got to just fake it and act perfect like everything's okay. You see, what he is saying is that our, our lives should reflect what we say that we believe. It means that we should do the right thing even when it costs us. Because when you're living for something, you don't care about the cost. It doesn't matter the price that needs to be paid because the, the level of sacrifice isn't even a factor in your decision. Because when you're living for something, you know, being there, living it, experiencing, whatever what it is, I mean, that's, you, you want to be there. That's what you live for. But here's my question, and this is what I want to I spend a moment talking about before we close. My question for us today, are we giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes? Are we giving the best years of our life away to things that aren't going to matter. You see, the things that, that we should be thinking about is, is, is this really going to matter? The thing that we're involved in, the thing that we're, I mean, is, is this really gonna make a, a difference? Because the last thing that I wanna do is give the best years of my life to something that just doesn't matter. And then I'm gonna look back at the end of my life and wonder where my life has gone. You see, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said that should set the tone and direction of our lives. It, this should be kind of the north star that guides our lives. And here's what it says uh, in, in Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That means this, if we put God first, then all of the lesser things that we tend to worry about will fall into place as well. And here's why this is so important. Because we, be, as I mentioned, we become like that which we worship. The thing that we give ultimate value and worth to, which is what worship is, is what we become like. That's why God says, that it's the first of the Ten Commandments. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Have no other gods before me. You see, you know what's interesting to me about that command? is that it assumes that you worship. It doesn't say, hey, if you're going to worship a God, make sure it's me. That's not what it says. He says, you're a worshiper, so worship me. God understands that we are worshipers because he created us to worship. And he says, since you're going to worship anyway because it's how you're wired, make sure that it's me that you worship. 
so that we don't end up giving first-class allegiance to second-class causes. And see, sometimes we might think, well, wait, I mean, why, why does God say that? I mean, is he like scared of the competition? You know, no, no. Instead, because as I mentioned before, God knows that we become like that which we worship. I read it to you in Psalm 115. I'll read it to you in Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. Made by the hands of men, they have mouths but cannot speak, eyes they cannot see, ears they cannot hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. But those who make them will become like them. And so also those who trust in them. You see, the promise that we have is that when we put God first, when we say to live as Christ and to die as gain, Become more like him the longer that we walk with him. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that truth and for that promise that the more that we walk with you, that we can be like you. The more that we can live our lives under the banner of to live as Christ and to die as King, that God. give us a life worth living that we will be able to look back at the end of our lives and know that we fought the good fight that we finished the race that we kept the faith thank you for that promise thank you for this challenge we pray it in Jesus name and everybody said amen